Welcome to Drinks at Work from Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That is me. We've got another bonus episode to start the week. It's a recording of a talk on branding and marketing for bars and booze. One of three sessions I hosted earlier this month up in Brisbane at Paramount Liquor's Future Proof event. I spoke to Daisy Tully, the general manager of the Mucho Group in Sydney, whose bars include the Cliff Dive, Tio's, Bar Planet, and one of the world's 50 best bars, Cantina OK. They've also got their own brand of seltzer, which they sell under the Cantina OK brand, and that made for some good chat because my other guest for the talk, Wade Tiller, is one of the co-founders of Australian seltzer brand, Hard Fizz. Wade is someone who has long worked on the sales and retail side of the drinks business. It's a great chat about future-proofing your brand. Wade has built Hard Fizz with his co-founders from scratch, and the brand is going from strength to strength in a market dominated by big international players. And I think it's fair to say that the way the Mutro Group does their branding and social for the bars is pretty much the gold standard for the industry. So there's a lot to take away from this live panel recording. It's a great chat if you're interested in building a brand, whether that's for a bar, a product, or even if you're trying to develop a menu. Okay, here it is, my chat now with Daisy Tully and Wade Tiller. Wade, you're, the, you're one of the co-founders of uh, Hard Fizz, or Fizz, I guess is the brand now. Can you tell us a little bit about the unique story about how Fizz got started as a brand? Because you kind of, you baked in that sort of social media strategy from the get-go, is that right? Yeah, yeah, correct, Sammy. Like, I came from a, a Bacardi background. I was with Bacardi for 12 or 13 years and had been doing a little bit of work on ready-to-drink um, concepts and whatnot for Bacardi. And then... Uh, we had some sort of friends, sort of connections through the Gold Coast who had different skill sets and one of them being the, the madman Fish who had a big social media presence. So for us to get ourselves off the line and actually get some presence in the marketplace without billboards, bus shelters and all the usual uh, goings on, we knew that we needed people with presence and an audience. Um, so Fish sort of joined forces with a few of us to to play his role in it, to make some noise and... Instead of a pay-to-play sort of influencer model, we we invited 10 uh, crew with different audiences and different presence and different skill sets to come and be our first investors. So they invested in the business with their own money, which is a bit unique. And and I guess that is you guys are, what, three years in now? It's yeah, kind of been part of the success to start with? Absolutely. Well, it's, the, it's the one way to get people to understand who you are when you're coming from nowhere. Like we had no drink, we had no can, we had no, we had a name and a trademark and that was about it and we needed to make some noise and we did it through social media. We actually looked at that as a place we could win, not just compete. Right. Yeah. Okay. And now Daisy, you're the general manager of the Mutra Group in Sydney, the venues are TO's, Cliff Dive, uh, Cantina OK. Yeah, well Cantina OK, one of the world's 50 best bars. Um, Bar Planet. Planet. <laughs> I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> but before you were the general manager, you were the marketing director there. Yes. How did you conceive of your role as a marketing director for this kind of fledgling hospitality group? Uh, because I feel like what you guys do in terms of branding is a little bit different to the rest of the industry. Yeah. So I came onto Mucho Group six years ago and I came across um, one venue, the Cliff Dive at the time. I had no previous hospitality experience, um, but I did have branding or product and advertising experience from being in a band. So I was in a band for six years from 16 to 22. What was the band's name? It's called Bridezilla. Damn straight it was. It was a good band. Um, so from 16, uh, we were signing record deals knowing that you're, you're a product and someone's got to sell you. So when I came into Mucho and started looking after the Cliff Dive, 
I had that concept that I suppose the founders of Mucho didn't understand and I just applied it to the cliff dive and it worked. So then they took me across the rest of the venues and now I'm just dominating the whole company. <laughs> <laughs> now you run the show. Um, why, why do, what is it about hospitality groups that don't understand or hospitality venues that, what, what is it they don't understand about branding that other industries maybe do, like the music business or, or products as well? Yeah. And that's to both of you. I so. don't understand it. So coming into hospitality and looking at these amazing venues with amazing talent and no one, you know, a lot of people not celebrating what they're doing has been really confusing for me. Um, it's so, it's, it, it can be so easy um, you have amazing venues, you have amazing stories and people, you need to celebrate them. So I don't understand why the hospitality industry is a little bit backwards. I think the thing I could think of maybe is that everyone's, well, operators are looking inwards. So well, yeah, they're, they're thinking about service, yeah, the, the food products, the, the drink products. And they're usually ex-bartenders. So, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> well, the founders of Mucho are, um, but they were definitely looking inwards. They were thinking about the service, they were thinking about operations, ordering, you know, just, just day to day, but not looking at the vision outside of the bars and thinking about the potential or the opportunities you can have if you put yourself out of the venue and communicate people online. Okay. Wade, when it comes to you, like, like you have worked in that the, the retail, the, the sales side of the, the liquor industry before, you've launched this seltzer product and I hope I'm not being rude, but like a lot of seltzers kind of taste the same. It's almost a little bit commodity. How do you make a brand stay out, stand out though, right? <laughs> like what, what do you have to do to make it go, oh, hang on, this is not just this other thing that tastes like fruity water? Yeah, I think, and actually on that last point, we're actually guilty of not um, heroing our own venue because we've got our own brewery on the Gold Coast and Soph and Serena here. Big shout outs to the Hi. queens of Fizz HQ. But, but even with Fizz, we were building our brand to the marketplace and then assuming that everyone knew what the fuck we were doing at the brewery. But we weren't. And only this month that we're really launching a dedicated social media and marketing campaign around heroing the great people that work there, the customers that come there, the product we do, and it was probably a chat with Daisy and yourself about a month ago that really fired me up to go, actually, we're not giving them a, f a fighting chance at our own venue. But um, oh, with the boozy sparkling water game, um, I think you've just got to make sure your liquid's really good and it holds up so it's just not absolutely shit. And then when we... Well, I mean, ideally, right? No, it, <laughs> yeah. no look, in not, all due respect... Not absolutely shit. Okay, you can take that to your brand plans right but, now. But in all due respect, I mean, this room's full of, you know, great... Yeah, spirit brands esteemed in history and whatnot. When you're making seltzer or RTD, you just want to make sure they're really, really solid liquid and let your marketing do the rest. If but, but there are other there's a lot of brands enough. out there. Right? I don't think that's enough way. Yeah, so so how do how do you guys stand out to the the rest of the other guys who are in and I'll get to you, Daisy. <laughs> I told you she's taken over the interview already. What's uh, your point of difference, Wade? <laughs> we're not shit. <laughs> To be fair, there were some pretty average ones. Yeah. Okay, but how did you conceive like the, the can, the branding identity, the the name? How did you do that in in reference to like what else is, was out there on the market? Yeah, look, I think for us there was a lot of picnic layups, fruit, fresh, no sugar, 
blah, blah, blah. We, we took personality first. We said, lead, lead with the party, the fun. And this comes back to the influencers at the start of the, uh, the launch. Absolutely. We said, actually, think about the occasion that you're marketing to. And people want to drink booze, whether it's good for them, bad for them or otherwise, when they're having a good time. And I think people were leading with the low-calorie call-outs, the no sugar, the fruit, the fresh. And quite frankly, that's pretty boring. So we led with party and personality and community. And, and we led that with the ambassadors, but now we do it with our user-generated content and try and make it as authentic as we can. Okay. And you were saying that um, the Mutra Group wasn't celebrating the... the the identity, I guess the success of the venues. But when I think about Cantina OK and Bar Planet in particular, they've got very distinct identities in my mind. I'm not sure I can put it into words. Yeah. How did you conceive of those identities? What's the, what's the game plan? How do you go, hey, we have this great bar that does this amazing thing. How do we make that concrete in a, in a personality? Okay, well. Um, <laughs> I hope you're all taking notes too, yeah? A good place to start is to basically write your brand pillars. I call them brand pillars down on a piece of paper. Excel, Word doc, wherever, an email. And you ask yourself a few questions. So there's five P's in the brand pillar. The first one, I've written them down in my hand in case I forgot. Um, first one is your purpose. So you write down what the purpose of Cantina and K is or Bar Planet. Your the perception that you want people to think of you as. Do they want to think of you as fun, serious, youthful, uh, exciting, uh, inexpensive, exclusive, exclusive? And then you also talk about, well, write down what kind of personality you think that bar is. So this is the process I went through with all of the bars. Personality and then the, your position in the market and then how you're going to promote it. So by the time you get through all those five things, you'd be five Ps, you get a pretty good idea of what your brand is, where it sits, who's going to be attracted to it, where you're going to promote it, and what kind of person it is. I, the personality thing's my favourite because I'm like, if you can understand your bar, your product, your brand as a person, then you can really understand the voice, the, you know, down to your copy. You can understand what every photo should feel like. You can you just reflect back to those brand pillars every bit of content that you produce. And so, that's, so that's what's given them such separate identities. So Cantina OK and Bar Yeah, I was going to say, in, in regards to Cantina OK, go through those Ps for us. So the, the purpose for Cantina OK. <laughs> it was initially, this is, the, we're going to cover this, but this is the, the thing I was going to mention is that it can change. So when you do start your brand, you go through your brand pillars, in five years it might be something different, but you have to have the humility to, to react and notice that to make sure you're kind of keeping up to what, how people are inter, inter, interacting with your brand. Yeah. So when Cantina Cantin started, Jeremy and Alex actually wanted it to just be a tiny Mezcal garage bar. Which it is. It is. <laughs> But the margaritas really took over. So I see the purpose of Cantina OK as a mezcal and margarita garage bar now. And that has changed. The World 50 Best thing wasn't our purpose initially. That was a, a happy mistake. Um, but that's also come into it. So now I suppose our purpose is one of the world's 50 best mezcal and margarita garage bars in Sydney. 
That's there very specific. <laughs> yeah, I think out of the 50 best of those, you're number one. Uh, Another, I, I want to say this. Another good example is Bar Planet. So when we were opening Bar Planet, Jeremy, who is our creative director and head of beverage, was like, well, it's just going to be a cocktail bar on, on Emor Road, right? And I said, well, no, that's not – doesn't give enough purpose to it. It's uh, has everyone heard about Bar Planet here, most of you? Anyone who hasn't, just raise your hand. So – Okay, okay, give us a, like the quick elevator pitch on what Bar Planet is. So Bar Planet is a twisted bistro martini bar on ML Road in Newtown. It's meant to look like you go in there on mushrooms and that's maybe uh, like yeah, a Parisian exactly. bistro on mushrooms. That's what, it, well, that's what I was told. Exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Our purpose, <laughs> see how the difference between the purpose of ML Road cocktail bar versus making the martini accessible on ML Road that changes the whole vision and content and everything you're going to do, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Wait, when it comes to your brands, did you have this sort of personality thing in mind? Did you create like a, a, a consumer in your head that you wanted to market your things to? How did you conceive that? Um, I'll confess, when we first started, we didn't, but we do now, Brianna. Um, we've got to absolutely, we've got a target. We've got, you have to give it personality who your absolute dedicated consumer is. Um, but for, for the same part, we wanted to make sure that it was accessible for, and broad, broaden the audience. But when you're branding, you do need to get quite finite about who you're targeting or else you're just fucking everything to everyone and, you, you know, it's not really the goal. Well, if you're everything to everyone, you kind of miss Peanut butter people. effect, right? You just spread yourself too thin. You're trying to do this, 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 and no one knows what you stand for. So, yeah, we've got better at it. And when you start up a, a brand or a business, you sprint, you know, you're running it every bit of the business and you run over the top of stuff. But we've been able to sort of take a few steps back, slow down to speed up. And I think we've got better over time through learning and you're allowed to stuff things up and you're allowed to change the plan. Like Daisy said, you're allowed to go, hang on, that's actually not our purpose now. And we're spreading into multiple categories. Have you had to adapt over the course of the business so far? Oh, 100%. And we're stoked about our latest. So we've sort of, if anyone heard the news, but we've now moved into an exclusive distribution partnership with South Trade International, who are amazing partners we're super stoked with. Um, and you all get a free case now, by the way. <laughs> Andy Reynolds Clark, sort of you will sign them off. Uh, yeah. And look, that means we've had to get better and grow up really quickly as a, as a business and I've got incredible talent right throughout and luckily that we've been able to implant some of that talent into South Trade, keep a lot of it. Um, so yeah, I think you've, you're always learning, you've got to keep learning. Um, we've got to learn that Seltzer will do one thing, we're brand, stretching our brand into other categories now. And we so want you, to- you're a Seltzer brand, a, a hard Seltzer brand that's now uh, reaching into the non-alcohol Seltzer brand world which yeah. would just be seltzers right and i hated that word from the start <laughs> fucking hate seltzer just quietly why <laughs> get that on the record because we don't say that word in australia no one does no one did but they do now so we're pretty we called it fizz because we felt like aussies would turn the word seltzer into something so and that goes back to that sort of party kind of celebration vibe fizz has got a really great you know i guess feel about it whether it's in champagne or what have you um and hard fizz was a way we could trademark it you can't trademark fizz unfortunately we tried um but i think um so what are you doing for the non-alc stuff then which is fizz functional fizz functional fizz functional okay stop saying seltzer 
Yeah. Well, no, seltzer is not alcoholic, right? Yeah, I know. Well, I did yeah. get a press release a yeah. few weeks ago, and it was like, so this uh, alcoholic seltzer brand, we're moving into non-alcoholic seltzer. I'm like, so seltzer? It's just fizz. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fizz. Yeah, and, and then RTD. So we've got alcoholic soda now, which is, you know, an RTD. But it's interesting, the seltzer part we wanted to separate from because it wasn't part of Aussie culture and say so that's – but you had to kind of take that on. So we're trying to – make sure people just know fizz for fizz and make sure it's good liquid for whatever occasion you're drinking it in. Um, and that's that's the next goal. And we're going to go into channels now beyond the ALK channel, which is going to be new for us, and fizz functional will find its way into everything from health clubs, fashion retailers, you name it. We're sort of – it's limitless where we can end up putting that brand now. Yeah. I mean, you guys have your own seltzer brand as well uh, under the Canteen OK kind of label. We do. How, how did that come about? Why, why was that important for you guys to move into? And how did you conceive the branding for that? Because you're coming from a World's 50 Best cocktail bar. Yes. And now you have this ready-to-drink yeah, product. That, that, that was hard. And that was, another, that was another happy mistake along the way. It was a collab with the Grifter <laughs> during COVID. And it was hipster juice. We had lines around the block for people to grab a can. So we went, fuck, we better keep doing this. Um, and it's kind of been like that since. We're still trying to iron out the production issues. We're still uh, trying to get it off the ground. It's been, it's been a bit of a struggle. Um, but, yeah, it was the branding around that w- was really hard because we'd already done a can with the Grifter as well. So it was really weird redoing a vessel that you – it feels yeah, it familiar. It was in a can but now it's in a bottle, right? Yeah. So it was, it was failing the canning tests and that's why it's in a bottle. Okay. Yes, um, but I, I don't know what else to say about the branding around that. I mean, Cantina Arcade's its homeland and that's why it's Seltzer okay, and it's a margarita and we'll keep doing more flavours that are still margarita and um, we do margaritas best, so we're going to lean into that. Yeah, the passion fruit one is a, is a killer. Are you I like that? that. Oh, really There's more flavours coming, Sam. Okay. Uh, when it comes to branding, one thing I find, I've, I've, I've just been at Tales of the Cocktail I was at um, in New Orleans and I was at this big monkey shoulder party, right? And you were all in and at the door they gave everyone these like orange robes, orange eye masks. Uh, it looks like monkey shoulder wants to own the color orange, yeah. um, which is weird. It's not actually on the bottle at all, I don't really think. But they seem to own the color orange as a brand. How important is color as a brand signifier for, for you folks? I mean, Cantina OK is red to me. Uh, bar planets like this Eve's kind blue kind yep, of thing blue. going on. Uh, is it important to own one color and, and how do you go about choosing that? I think it's important to own a color. It just helps with the consistency of the brand really, which is key to branding. Everything needs to be consistent down to the copy, the font, the content and, you know, the color around your stories. Every story I post on Bar Planet is blue, Cantina, red, Tio's yellow, Cliff Dive, purple it's it's just is another signal of like this is cantina okay we're we're red i did speak to our art director um before this because i got that question and i was like why did you come up with these colors and why red and why blue and he went into some human emotion conversation and i got really bored and uh that was but about it no but he he said that there's a there's a a human reaction or emotion that's felt when you see different colours and Bar Planet was blue because it's more royal and classic like bistros because it was going to be a twisted bistro and Cantina OK is more excitement and that's why it's got the exclamation mark. Um, so it kind of suited the, you know, that, that the whole brand but it does ke- continue to roll out because consistency is key. Can I, can I say that again? Say it again. 
Consistency's key. Well, <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, Wade. Come on. Don't you reckon Wade? I agree on oh, colour, inconsistency. You know. Well, because no, you, you, you have, no, you have colors, different colours. Colours are real top right? of the thing. We don't choose one. We choose yeah, what's a, your colour? array of them, right? But it is a colour palette. Still right? your personal so colour. to be honest, when we started with Fears, every friggin' seltzer is white slim can, right? Yeah. It still is. They look the same. So we led with colour and we still lead with colour through all our campaigns and every colour must match the palette, right? How, so, how, yeah, how did you choose the specific shades of those colours? I know it's kind of a Through very, very clever art director who went, that's a Pantone that cannot be kind of mimicked easily, but then every flavour off the back of that fits in with the, call it a rainbow, whatever. That's right, but, it's a, but it was important to have a distinct colour that was not seen elsewhere. Uh, not necessarily like distinct, but, but distinctly colourful, you know, because in our category it was not colourful. You know, it was just white, slim, and still when you walk into store, we look, we can see us a mile off versus the rest of the category and that's something that we've stuck behind the brand and still will and, yeah. Okay, so when it comes to this stuff, I mean, you've got a – you both have art directors. Is this branding kind of conversation, if you're trying to open a new place or a new product – do you want to bring this kind of conversation to an agency or is it a capability you'd like to have in-house? Is there a better approach and why? I've got an opinion on this. Uh, absolutely, do I do. <laughs> Let's go to you first, Wade. Uh, we've done it all in-house. <laughs> no, no, when we started our brand, we actually made sure we had the pieces of the puzzle, right? So when you start a bar, a brand, a drink, a whatever you want to start, I think it's important to understand your business partners and what skills they bring to the table. Yeah. Um, and we were very critical on that, that we had to fit the different pieces of the puzzle. And one of them was actually who the fuck can design stuff and make it look good because yeah. it's very, very important. And we had that element and we've kept it in-house since. Um, and when you're a startup, you don't have a lot of money to for a lot of hands on your brand, which tend to um, – thin your money out. So we do it all in-house. There's great talent out there. We've got a videographer, social media come, whatever Jack is, all sorts. And we found him as a one-man band who's, I still think, one of the best in the industry. Does he do the TikTok for you? He absolutely does, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know how to spell that yet, but he, yeah. (laughs) But Jack, we found as as a sole trader, contractor, do a couple of jobs, and then he's end up being such a critical part of it. That's just one example of finding amazing talent out there. You can find it. You just got to want to find it. Daisy? Similar to Wade. So we had a guy that did all the branding for Cantenary Care. I think he was about 25 at the time, just finished at Billy Blue um, Design Studio. His name's Clayton. Um, he, like me, gradually came across the venues and now he's a full-time art director. It's, it is in-house. I was doing the marketing. I've got a digital content and community manager under me. I'm, I'm actually looking to hire a marketing manager if anyone wants the job. Um, but no, keeping it in-house I think is is really important. It, it, it enables you to be more reactive, a part of the process. Um, lot, people ask me these questions all the time. Keep the photography in-house. I've done a lot of the photography. So I've got a Fuji, taking a lot of the photos at Cantonary K, iPhone, all me on video. We spend about $3,000 on photography 
probably per venue. So that's our content spend per year to give you an idea of how easy it is to do good content and get a large following on Instagram. Was that for per year? Yes. $3,000 per year? Yes. So that's, how much is that? Is that, is 60, that, is that how much is that a week? Is that Nikki Nikki Toe or whatever? Yeah, so we, yeah we, we get – One of the best. Yeah, so we get Nikki Toe, one of the best, three times a year. Three times a year, grand a shoot, um, three hours. She's about 300 bucks an hour, 350 an hour. And then I sprinkle through her amazing content through the feed with my photos and my iPhone videos. And then I have someone under me who's 19 that's also producing the content. Clayton's doing the art director of the posters. It's very – we're all sitting about a metre apart from each other farting on each other and um it's delightful we're having but we're also having the best time together it's it's fun it's reactive we can be like oh wow that post did really well let's do another one of that it's like the bar planet and the memes you know he came up with the first meme and i said oh can i have just have a go at posting and see what happens right. i posted it they loved it <laughs> now i'm posting a meme a week but he's creating those memes it's just like you, you can be so much part of the part of the person it can be so much fun how do you gauge the success of these experimentations when you're doing them a shitload that's, well, yeah, that's how? a huge like, part of the job likes, is, engagement or what what is it yeah you just go into the insights on instagram <laughs> that's what i do or look at how many clicks the adm have or yeah, that that's i mean that's what i think is the most successful part of a strong brand or marketing is having the humility to be like, oh, fuck, that didn't go very well or oh, that went better, so let's do a bit more of that. It's constant trial and error. You've never got it down pat. You never know how people are going to react. We are constantly posting videos on TikTok. Some videos get 800 views. Some videos get fucking 1.6 million views. I don't fucking know. You just keep posting it, see what happens, and you just do more of the shit that people like. I mean, that there makes, you go. It sounds very simple when you put it like that. <laughs> uh, for anyone wanting to start a brand here tonight or wanting to open their own bar and think about how, how they can differentiate themselves in, that, in this brave new world that we're walking into with uh, lots, of, lots of competition out there, do you have a, like two or three pieces of advice to, to people wanting to do this for themselves to start off with? Consistency is key. Consistency is key. Content. Get good content. Three grand a year for one of the world's 50 best bars. That's how much we pay for content. It's possible. That's what, how, again, how much a week, Wade? Um, 60 bucks a week. That's, that's $8 a day. You can afford it. That's um, the price of a Sydney coffee a day. Exactly. And then my third one would be building those brand pillars at the start. So asking yourself for those questions. What, what's my purpose? What's the personality? What's the position? What's my promotion? Those five Ps, you'll be right. Wade, if someone wants to start a product, right, want to launch a new, they've got this great idea for a product, What's, how should they go about thinking that about the brand from the get-go? Yeah, I guess understand where Assuming the, the liquid is good. Yeah, make, yeah, yeah, let's assume that. But, um, yeah, just make sure you know why you're doing it as far as is there an opportunity there, is there a trend happening, and is it at the end of it or is it the start of it? That's probably one thing. And then, I mean, I'm going to echo Daisy's words on content is key because a business partner, Joel, content is king, content is king, and... We know that we can make great content that, you know, sort of breathes, lives and breathes the brand and gets it out there. So just understand what your personality of brand is and raise some frigging money at the start, probably. Lots of money. <laughs> uh, get some money. Do you, yeah. do you want to give a price of how much money you guys raised? Sorry? Do you want to give a price about how much money you guys raised? Uh, we did I, I, it. This wasn't in the prepared questions, by the way. Substantial raise at the start. <laughs> 
Yeah, we raised some coin, but yeah, yeah. Just I'm sorry, that was very rude of me, but you know. Yeah, we're here live. Why might as well? It's the yeah. same as opening a bar. We put hundreds of thousands of dollars. You do, into like a bar I mean, you think about inventory of stocking a back bar and a great cocktail bar. That costs money. Just make sure you've got contingency to you know, have a crack for a little decent period of time. Okay, wonderful. Do we have any questions in the audience right now for for Wade or Daisy? Oh, go on. There we go. Here we are. I'm going to come down here. I'll bring the mic- microphone to you. Let's get interactive, shall we? Yeah, make some noise. It's okay. Um, if you didn't have the influencer side of the marketing for Fizz, how else would you have marketed the brand? Great yeah, question. Yeah, good call. Well, one of the big parts of our strategy early was own your backyard. So take the influencer away, take the money raising. So I'll take that off the table. But um, for me is own your backyard first and we still do that. So our philosophy at Fizz and the guys, until I'm blue in the face, say, I don't care if it's a fucking fish and chip shop, a surf club, we must be there. And we've been relentless about that. Um, so, yeah, own your backyard. If you've got, if you can't win your own little pocket with your brand, you've got no right to win anywhere else. That's kind of the biggest advice. Get that pocket. Where do, they, where do they shop? Where do they go after? Where do they go when they're having a meal and just sort of, Start there, start local, start hyper local. And I think a lot of the great local spirit brands have done that particularly well. So that's one little bit without the, the fish. <laughs> Anyone else for a question? Liam? Uh, I've actually got a question for both of you, but I'll start with Wade. Um, <clears throat> something I saw recently for organizing an event for Hard Fizz was the idea of tasting the rainbow and kind of having that, uh, having the range available and trying to get people to taste through them all and that kind of the people quite liked tasting the rainbow. Um, is that something that you guys, with all the different colors, kind of designed from the start or something that you've tried to capitalize on after seeing how people engage with the brand? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. We didn't sort of start there because at the start you're looking at minimum order quantities and all the boring stuff about can we afford to do more than two flavours, then we went, oh, let's do three. I guess now what we do, and the team are really good at this, is making sure when we show up and activate an event, is that particularly seltzer where it's quite thin in flavour, right? So you want people actually do want to change flavours within one session. So we've been really adamant about that. We do look for trends to go, what's the next one to go? And we've got pretty good with our HQ now to, to develop unique flavours, test them over our own bar. Um, and so it's become a thing. I think over time it's developed into a real, I guess, part of our, I guess, success is that we can turn new flavours around quickly and turn it into an advantage rather than a hindrance of worrying about production and the, the standard things you have to worry about at the start. Daisy, you have anything to add on that? Oh, different question. Okay. Uh, I just sorry, I had a different question. Uh, so mine it was also about the um, the personality side of um, that you took from the music industry, putting personalities kind of front and center, which I think is my one of my favorite parts of um, the social media across your brands. Um, was that something that you brought to the table uh, straight away? Did it take a little convincing, or was it something that you kind of tried out and then people really liked it and became more of a pillar, like putting the stories of people? 
no, I started at the beginning because the community around a brand is uh, really important for the success of a brand and part of that community is obviously who works, who works. Well, you can take it, for instance, for Cantina OK, who works at Cantina OK, the regulars that interact with Cantina OK, the brands that are associated with Cantina OK through collaborations, the weekly, co- the weekly collaboration cocktails. Um, so, no, that was always always part of the plan. But also I think that, you know, People are really motivi- motivated by connecting, um, especially these days because we don't connect anymore, which is really sad. But people want to hear people's stories and they want to see faces and they want to know Ryan and Storm and they want to see photos of them and why not celebrate them? So I just think it's a really nice and obvious thing to do. That's part and it also, yeah, does create that personality. Um, but at Bar Planet, I will say that Kenny and Andrew, <laughs> who are hilarious... Um, they have become more and more the brand and the brands become more and more them and it's kind of shaped and you can kind of shape the brand according to who's working at the bar at the time. And sometimes you've got people in the bar that aren't very good on social so then you can't really use them as much or celebrate them online as much. So it really depends on who's working at the time, who's good online, like who's good to film and take photos of. Um, But it's a bit of an organic process and... That's, again, the really fun bit about it is getting to know these people and celebrating them and being part of their lives. Is, is that going to be something that when you look to hire people for uh, positions in the bars, is that going to be something that you think about when you're hiring them, like their suitability on camera to do social stuff? No, I can always get something out of them. <laughs> okay, I've got time. We've got time for one more question. Okay. Oh, maybe two more. Okay. Okay, we'll go here, we'll go here. Hi, my question's for Daisy. Um, working on a brand side, I definitely share your your vision and understanding of how important social media is to project your brand, whether it be a product or a venue on a global stage to encourage consumers to come into your market. And I do agree with um, how you mentioned sometimes it can be quite difficult in hospitality. They don't necessarily always share that same belief or have that, that same understanding about the impact of digital reach. Do you have any words of advice or inspiration on how you know we, in a brand sense, can encourage and inspire our hospitality partners, really, you know, to sort of use that scale? Well, as I said before, it's you've you've got a story, you've got an amazing venue, you've got amazing people um, giving a wonderful service and world class service that a lot of other countries don't even you know aren't even up to our same level. Um, why not celebrate that, get on the line and just give it a go? Um, TikTok might seem scary. I had backlash a few months ago from Kenny and uh, Andrew and a lot of the bar staff about even just getting the bars on TikTok. But I think that you just kind of have to make the, make the leap of faith, see what works and what doesn't work. And um, I think that your venues or your product or your brand deserves the airtime online and um, respect it. Okay, one more question here. Um, so this is my question to you as a business owner. Um, basically, what I've noticed in our industry in the past five to six years is a lot of automated machines coming out. So a cocktail machines that basically make your order and you don't have to do a thing. You don't even have to talk to a human to make it. Um, what are your thoughts on how that's going to affect our industry and what's going to do for people who are actually cocktail bartenders that have got skill sets behind them is that going to affect their jobs, do you feel? 
Yeah, so there's a bar called Buddy's Bar that's open in Newtown. That's Are you talking kind of about that and it's no service and you go up and serve yourself? So, yeah. Yeah, so okay. the machinery, everything's I think it. that, I mean, I think that's totally ruining the idea of a bar, personally. Um, we, uh, we build our bars for, ex- for the experience and the interaction and, the, as I said, the connection. People want to connect. You know, that's the whole reason people drink coffee and go to the barista every morning is to connect with their barista. It's not actually to drink the coffee. Stats, they've done research and it says that. So bars are the same. They want to come in and get a martini and get served by Kenny and Andrew and they ask how their day was. I don't, I, I'd never aspire to ever bring a machine into one of our bars. with the fact that um, they've got machines that can actually do the cocktails for them and they don't have to pay the extra wage to do it. So that's what I'm worried about our industry is we're going to lose that. At the the nightclub, I'd love that. Um, (laughs) Efficiency of services, you know, would be amazing down there. Pump those vodka and Red Bulls out. Um, but no, yeah, they want to see, so at Cantina OK and Bar Planet, you know, Cantina OK, we do the ice shaver, Bar Planet, we do the Peron, and that's part of the performance. You're on a stage, you're bartending, it's a performance, um, people want to watch it. So I do also think that bringing machines into making cocktails, as you're referring it to as, is, um, yeah, is ruining the perform, 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 <laughs> fuck, I can't speak. It was one of those P's, right? aspect of, um, watching someone make your drink, yeah, you want to see them. Um, sweat for that 22 martini, $22 martini, don't you? Just not in the drink. Okay, we're getting the wine up here. Can I get these guys a round of applause, please? That was a great chat. Thank you to Daisy and Wade for the chat. Thank you to Paramount Liquor for putting on the event up in Brisbane earlier this month. It was a great chat. Great way to bring people together around some brands and some education. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.